What are people anyway? I'm shouting. Uh -oh. Well, I have a, I have a cat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it got weird. Yeah, great. That's cool. Is there a bathroom in this room? Bad Philosophy, episode 167, recorded April 18th, 2016. United Statesians. Hi, everybody. Uh, what do I say at the beginning? Oh, yeah. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to Bad Philosophy, episode 167. I'm your host, Kevin Saunders, and I'm joined today by uh, the the ever-faithful Stephen Torrance. Hey there, Stephen. Hello, Kevin. Wonderful to be with you. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, you're joining us today from, from Calgary, is that correct? Calgary, Alberta. Alberta. Canada. Which is, which is in the state yes. Canada, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. And Alberta, I am finding, is the the Texas of Canada. In really, many ways. that's yes. fascinating. My mother uh, is from Edmonton, or she was born in Edmonton, I should say, oh. um, which makes me half Canadian. And <laughs> uh, so, if if I were to be half Canadian, to be half Canadian from the from the Texas of Canada seems great. Uh, and if you're in Calgary, uh, I'm I'm sure you found someone on the street there to chat with us today. I sure did. Um, and, and he happens to work in a university, too, and be someone who has been on Bad Philosophy before. So what? I hit the jackpot. That's a weird um, coincidence. <laughs> I'm here with Sean Brackett. Hi, Sean. Howdy. How are you all doing? I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, I appreciate that you're still using howdy. Uh, I'm going to assume you always <laughs> greet people that way in the Texas of Canada. Actually, I say howdy quite a lot, and I learned yeah. it from my dad, who was from Los Angeles. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure how that arose, but well, that's why I Well, if we can it. start off with a, a short digression, uh, back in the days of AOL Instant Messenger, mm -hmm. uh, you you know there were you would always like say hi or ASL or whatever, uh, and I made mm -hmm. it a point to always say howdy as an introduction because mm. I was from Texas, and gosh darn it, I was going to sound like it. <laughs> uh, and what that did was actually build howdy into my lexicon, and so now I say it to like actual people. Right. Yeah. But it was a conscious decision on my part rather than something that just happened. Hmm. Well, in answer to your question, Sean, I am uh, hanging in there, which uh, uh, means something different here in Canada, as, as many common terms do. Uh, but I mean it in the American way of I am doing just fine. Good to hear. Yeah. So, uh, so Kevin, what, what are we talking about today? Um, the futility of language. Yes, and the fertility of penguins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I don't, I don't know what we're talking about, Stephen, because all you did was put in the show document, quote, all culture is appropriation. And I don't yes, really know where to go all, from that. All, all culture. All well, so we got to define two things. Um, well, really, well, really four things, but we'll start with two things, and that is culture and appropriation. Then we can get into all and is, uh, which mm. are going to be a little bit more tricky. Definitely. I think we could spend at least the entire show on is alone. I mean, uh, Bill Clinton spent mm. a non-zero amount of time yeah. arguing about what your definition of is is. <laughs> and sometimes I want to go back to the 90s, but that's not a part of the 90s I want to go back no, to. No, <laughs> definitely not. Well, apparently, Did you see uh, Rabbit Trail there. Yeah. Oh, uh, go ahead. I, I was just going to add there that um, Monica Lewinsky's TED Talk is fascinating, and she is uh, she. I, I just would recommend anybody go and watch that, and I won't say any more anything okay. more about that. My favorite Monica Lewinsky thing uh, is the fact that she was the host of, I believe it was Mr. Personality. Hmm. 
Um, what um, on earth is that? <laughs> uh, Mr. Personality was a 2003 reality TV show on Fox, um, which was uh, it was your standard bachelor or bachelorette esque TV show, mm. um, with the premise being that the woman had to select from her potential suitors who all had their faces covered by masks throughout the entirety of the show. So mm. she did not know what they looked like until <laughs> she either chose to uh, kick them off the show or I guess finally choose one as her husband. Mm. And what they wore were these super weird, like gladiatorial-esque masks. Let me, I'm trying to find an image of it right now and throw in the chat <laughs> because they're super, super weird. Well, that is that is definitely not something I would have ever expected Monica Lewinsky to do. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the weirdest thing about it was that she was the host of that. Mm. Um, and I don't really know like how, like I have no problem with her being the host of it, but it was weird that that was her career path. <laughs> one of them, at least. <laughs> yeah, that she ended up there at one point. Um, but also, when well, speaking of speaking of the '90s and and that period, uh, apparently, the People versus O.J. Simpson is a fantastic television show that I have not watched, but I've heard nothing but rave reviews of it in all wow. of its splendiferous '90s glory. Despite John Travolta, uh, including John Travolta. Wow. What? John, what? What is this? What is this nonsense? I I don't believe it. Have you have you heard of the show, Sean? I've heard of it, and I know that Sarah Paulson plays uh, the oh, prosecutor. Oh, Marcia. Sorry, I I closed what I thought was just the window, um, with the image, and I closed the actual video feed. Oh man. <laughs> hey, sorry about that. I I cannot internet apparently. Hey, you're back. I went. I went to look at the image that you sent of Monica Lewinsky and all the guys in the masks, and yeah. then um, when I went to close that, it closed this window as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> cool. But I see that we remained live. So, well, maybe yes. that's that's the internet signal to us to to get back on track. Um, <laughs> there's a very simple story behind this. Uh, Sean yeah. and I were were on the C train uh, going to Kensington, which is. Uh, a wonderful place to play hipster bingo in the. Uh, I'm going to pretend I know what either of those things are: the C train or the place you were going. <laughs> the the C train is the name for the light rail system in Calgary, cool. and Kensington is um, a shopping and business district across the river from downtown. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And as Stephen was saying, it's a good place to play uh, hipster bingo. Hipster because, bingo, yeah. I, mean, I I won within like ten minutes. Uh, yeah. And we'll maybe talk about hipster bingo on a on a future episode. Anyway, on the way we were we were talking about um, Sean is uh, you you are what sort of a a PhD student or master's student right now? Well, currently I'm a master's student, um, and my area of specialty is social and cultural history, mm. specifically education. And I do have experience with both the U.S. and I'm um, learning about Canadian history right now. I will be doing my PhD in Canadian history with a minor field in American. And and we were talking about culture and yeah. what that means. And um, I think I might have even brought this up. But yeah. the, my, my frustration with the term that I see used so often now of um, cultural appropriation and the, the blanket use of that word for mm. everything that 
someone of one culture may do or enact or mm-hmm. perform that is ostensibly from another culture that they mm-hmm. should not be doing. And that covers a wide range. And I want to be really clear. I don't think that cultural appropriation is not a thing. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I recognize that it exists uh-huh. and it has a variety of forms and impacts. And there is a huge difference between um, I think I saw an article um, or a piece. I don't know if it was an article, a piece <laughs> of of a young girl wearing a kimono and um, pl- performing or playing um, a tea ceremony mm-hmm. and the internet outrage about this little girl um, who is white um, appropriating Japanese culture when the people who were um, upset about it were other white people and then there were Japanese people who were totally okay with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that from that end of I would – I presume innocence of a six-year-old um, sure. to, to, to the extreme of blackface and, mm-hmm. you know, using, capitalizing upon, denigrating, you know, that sort of um, very harmful aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of, you know, that discussion around those different ends of a spectrum and, um, you know, a thought that is not my own, but unfortunately I don't remember where I got this idea from. But mm. What's well, okay, all of, thoughts are appropriation. <laughs> right, I mean, I mean, but culture, that, but that's a part of how cultures develop. And if mm, culture yes. is... Is defined as you know a series of meanings and practices. I'm, I'm throwing it out there for my historian mentor, not it. mentor, but hero William Sewell. Bring it um, on. You know, like that. All culture is on some level appropriative. Mm-hmm. We take things from others and we like them or we don't, and we take them and integrate them into what we do. Mm. We teach our children and our friends, and so that's what I meant by mm. all culture is appropriation. Okay. Yeah. And I feel the need to explain that because well, that could get. That's exactly taken why we're out. here. <laughs> I mean, what was up primarily for me in, in the discussion, and, and one of the reasons I found this um, interesting is just the question of how is culture, how does culture come about, right? How is culture created? And this, this idea of cultural appropriation and then how it, how it interacts with that process. Um, you have also done a lot of work with uh, or, or studied a lot of the um, indigenous peoples of, of Canada and the, the various interactions between the Canadians of various kinds over the years and, mm-hmm. and the indigenous uh, populations here. And so that was also up for me of like what you see going on in terms of, of culture and appropriation and or um, just creation happening here. Um, but also, Kevin, I did want to, I, I did want to just throw out all these questions out there because I know you have strong <laughs> feelings about them. So, um, I do. What is your first response to what what uh, Sean just put out there? Well, so I mean, as often has been the case recently on, on bad philosophy, I do agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, and so the the that word appropriation, I think, is is really the sticking point. Um, a culture borrowing practices or beliefs from other cultures, is that appropriation or not? Or how long separated from that do we have to be before it's no longer appropriation? Uh, hmm. You look at you know, the, the Roman Empire and Christmas versus Saturnalia or other similar um, winter festivals is one of those mm-hmm. an appropriation. Was it then? Is it okay now just because it's been around for a long time? 
Um, and and arguably yes, like I I think that still counts. Is it necessarily negative? And I would say that's where things get a little bit trickier, and that's where mm. uh, context becomes really important. Because uh, I mean, your example of of this sort of tea ceremony. Um, we have to look at at what is the context in which it's happening, uh, where that video was created, why it was created, mm. and furthermore, the the sort of intent behind it, I think, is important. It's not the only thing, because mm-hmm. uh, you know people doing blackface, which wasn't which to be used that as an example of cultural appropriation. I don't actually think that was. I think that was cultural subjugation mm. rather mm. than appropriation. Um, that you know everything within minstrelsy was a was an intentional creation that kept the african american populations subjugated through culture it was not a hey we see you know black people doing this we think it's really cool so we're going to steal it um i think that argument could be more found in something like jazz or rock and roll but uh, I feel like blackface is the exact opposite of c- cultural appropriation and even worse. <laughs> oh, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> On that front. Yeah. I say, you know, nobody's nobody's going to hear you come and say and go, yeah, blackface is great. And but, I, I think to, to, to clarify yeah. further, um, when I, when I think of blackface, I think of it being if, if the starting point for the definition of a cultural appropriation is, profiting from another culture mm-hmm. then I think blackface is an example because it was mm. speci- it was used um, not only to create a very distinct racial hierarchy mm-hmm. between better and worse and mm-hmm. good and bad it was also used to profit from you have um, you know in the early 20th century the use of that to earn money from performances in a way that would not have um, that white face, if you know white people were specifically dressing up in exaggerated physical features connected mm-hmm. to whiteness, would not have. They were they were using the um, alleged physical appearance of blacks, the alleged um, you know behaviors and speech patterns mm-hmm. of black people to mm-hmm. one make fun of them, denigrate them, and harm them, but also to earn profit from. So I think. I think it is cultural appropriation if the definition includes the use of. But if you mean, or if cultural appropriation means integrating something that is seen as valuable by the dominant culture, mm-hmm. then I agree with you that it is not cultural appropriation. And I, I think I'm I'm going to fall to that second definition, uh, which is I think where we started. But I, and I, and I say that because there's. When I when I speak of cultural appropriation, I'm really looking at um, perhaps what what might be called an earnest but unintentionally insulting act. Hmm. Um, hmm. Something that comes to mind um, is Miley Cyrus at the VMAs uh, twerking wa- right. a few years ago, um, that which which got bandied about quite a bit in in sort of cultural appropriation. Um, also because of the the backup dancers she had and and sort of that whole depiction, not just her individual act, but everything that was involved in that. And that was something that was cultural appropriation because it, of how tone deaf it was. Uh, mm. Because it was Miley Cyrus saying, I think twerking is cool. 
I, I like twerking videos, I like the act, I like dancing, without understanding any of the context around it. And so in comparison to perhaps this tea ceremony video, which I've not seen, and so I have, I'm just referencing from what you've said, which may have been an attempt to earnestly recreate this experience with that context, with that understanding, rather than coming from a place of ignorance going, hey, I think that looks cool, as, as opposed to if I were to throw on a kimono and put on what I think a tea ceremony is with no actual understanding of it, but saying, hey, that's, this is cool and foreign and othered, and I want to mm. take that and do it, right? and it's cool and foreign because it's othered, mm -hmm. that feels much more like cultural appropriation to me because not necessarily of the intent, but of the context. Mm. Agreed. It reminds me of um, headdresses from yeah. indigenous peoples used yeah. for everything from getting drunk and raving at Coachella mm -hmm. to uh -huh. selling American apparel. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, you know, football teams. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even, I was, I mean, that's just straight yeah. up racist yes. and we should yes. stop doing that. Yeah. If anyone's listening. Right. Let's stop doing that. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's stop that. It's, it's super racist. Well, um, once again, y'all are just too dang agreeable. Uh, we, we, we tr the last episode we had Simon Ponder on, and, yeah. and uh, you know we were trying to. Kevin was trying to get a you know good debate going about film versus digital, and we ended up just agreeing on everything. I think this is this is another data point in our our evolution. I think is yeah, we're just becoming you know we don't really feel like arguing about stuff anymore. Well, know? I think I, I I can I I've from what I've seen of you, Steve, and I think I've done the same. Is you know since. Uh, the the heydays of bad philosophy back at Texas Tech, where my default instinct was to say you're wrong. Now my default instinct is to say, well, let's think about each other's position. And I try to be more empathetic sure. than I certainly was <laughs> eight years ago. Yeah, I would agree that being you know training to be a historian mm. has yeah. forced me to consider other positions. Absolutely, and that does come in part because I am a white guy. Yeah, and yeah. you know going into college and then the MED and now the MA mm -hmm. of reading things of, you know, historical documents like, no, we actually said those things. Yeah. <laughs> and this is and this is a long term ramification of that and mm. intentionally quote decolonizing your own mind. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. That's difficult. Absolutely. And, and it's ongoing, but I think it is worthwhile. Mm. And so I I hope that I am actually open to new ideas, and I'm not just in this <laughs> in this uh, liberal academic echo chamber of look at how great and wonderful yeah. I am. Yeah, that's not what I want. But mm. well, you know, I think being there aware are three of white guys talking about culture. yeah. Oh yeah, we've definitely yeah, come across true. that. I mean, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, but I think also being aware of the fact that that is a possibility, as you say, of sort of being trapped in that in uh, what I call the the white neoliberalism. Mm. Um. And that is definitely dangerous, but if as long as you're willing to stay vigilant, as it were, and when somebody mm -hmm. calls you out on your bullshit, go, yep, you're right, I was being bullshitty. Mm -hmm. uh, I should, I should re-examine re what's going on here. And mm -hmm. being able to do that and constantly being able to do that, I think, is, is A, a big part of just being empathetic to other humans and going, oh, yeah, you, you are other people. Yeah. Uh, have you ever heard and the I term? wonder too. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll hold it um, for a sec. Well, the, what I'm still wondering is is like it, it's in a way 
this is coming from a bit of a like an, an evolutionary or progressive um, framework when I think, you know, well, what is the next step then for for white educated people like us? Um, and and this was a, a question I think I posed to you, Kevin, shortly after the sign language thing, mm-hmm. which is how what is our culture, and how do we proceed to engage in the act of of cultural creation? consciously Mm -hmm. and respectfully like what does that look like i mean that's something i struggle with sometimes you know being being a writer and and trying to write my truth but still being aware of a a multitude of other stories that mine potentially ignores or downplays or even hurts is Mm -hmm. is a stumbling block sometimes that's you know that that feeds into the white page syndrome of just staring at a a blank page and going uh yeah and (laughs) and i think i think the solution such as it is uh is not in the work itself but it is in is it is in broadening the playing field and championing those works and those things that speak to other truths and speak from other experiences and making sure that they too get heard and that Mm. they too have that presence. And by being a, by, by doing that, it doesn't have to affect my own work. Obviously it will intentionally or otherwise, but you know, finding opportunities to champion and to expose myself to works of other groups and then be comfortable writing what I am, but still being willing to interrogate and have others question it. And again, continuing to listen. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's okay to be proud of a thing I made and still have problems with it at a later point in time. Mm-hmm. Or the same thing for what other people's make. Um, there's, a, there's a really fascinating essay um, that was on, I don't remember what it was on. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pivot a little bit. Have either of y'all listened to the musical Hamilton? I am familiar with the premise, but I haven't heard okay. it myself. No. I've heard a, a few excerpts in an interview with one of the um, the leads. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's amazing. Uh, I'm going to start off with that. <laughs> um, and it was getting a ton of really amazing press uh, and still is. And it's, it's incredibly popular. And um, uh, a theater scholar, theater performance scholar, uh, and it's getting a lot of praise because of uh, cross-cultural casting. I think there's one white yeah. guy in the entire cast um, retelling sort of these stories and and reevaluating them and, and just being really well produced and using the language and mm. music of hip hop, but from someone who who grew up with that culture. So if if I were to write Hamilton, it would be considered cultural appropriation because I know nothing about hip hop. Mm. I could learn about Hamilton, but I don't I don't have that lived in experience. Mm. Whereas you look at someone like Lin-Manuel Miranda, the writer and star of Alexander Hamilton, that does and like goes on to Genius.com and annotates his own work and saying, like, this is what I'm referencing, this is what I'm talking about, and seeing that rich tapestry he's pulling from, because mm. he lived through that, he lived not through the experience of being Alexander Hamilton, but lived through the cultural moment of 90s hip-hop, which is what it's pulling most from. Mm. And so it's getting a lot of praise for this sort of stuff. Um, but there's a theater scholar, uh, James McMaster, who wrote a really fascinating article about it. I'm going to link to it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, on HowlRound, uh, which is a Knowledge Commons by and for the theater community. Uh, 
but it's called Why Hamilton is Not the Revolution You Think It Is. Um, I saw that. I didn't, yeah. read, I didn't read all of it, but I think I read the, hmm. the introduction. It's, it's a great article. Um, and I, I, can, I agree with all of the things he's saying, um, which is that Hamilton's got problems. Hmm. It's not perfect. But what? Our job is, yeah. our job as critics, and in particular, it has problems with like immigration narratives and feminism and some really other, and a couple other things that are that are really important, um, like the idea of a revolution. Hmm. And a lot of those things are are, and basically, he's calling it out for being too patriotic, hmm. uh, which is tying into a lot of its success. Hmm. Hmm. And and all of those things are accurate. And he kind of ends by saying, you know. I still think Hamilton is a great musical. Mm. I still think that these things need to be done and that Lin-Manuel Miranda is one of the best chances that non-white culture and particularly uh, Latino Latina culture has in the theater space. Like that's our best shot right now, mm. but we still have to be able to critique and criticize the things we love the most. Ooh, that's super important. Um, and so it's really fascinating just because there were so few people that were willing to do that because on the internet in particular we have this sort of you love it or hate it you are not mm -hmm. allowed to to have a nuanced opinion of things hmm. um if you don't love something 100 percent, 110 percent, you must hate it and think it's terrible and you're wrong yeah we've um the, the loss of nuance has seeped into i would say university students writing that I mark. Absolutely, mm. yeah. And I mean, I've You've seen noticed this. this. You've yes. seen this shift. And I, I've, I've seen this at several universities, both in Canada mm. and the U.S., and it's disheartening Ooh. that that they, I mean, I don't want to make the the annoying and inaccurate <laughs> generalization kids these days. It's the millennials. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. But I notice it with the students that I have worked at that a number of them, mm. a disappointing mm -hmm. number of them. Um, but for clear, for uh, context sake, I am a teaching assistant for a class that is called Comparison of Canadian and American Cultures. Awesome. Um, that sounds like an amazing It's great. Class. And being an American TA for a Canadian professor in Canada yeah. is a fascinating experience. Mm. Um, but I, I got to believe. But some of the... But some of the papers have really can be reduced down to um, Canada good, America bad, or mm. America good, Canada bad. Uh huh. And, mm. and you know, the, and the class is comparison, <laughs> not judgment, or it's not a you know persuasive class. We're not trying yeah. to convince you one way or the other, but we're trying to help you understand the. Uh, nuances of culture and what mm -hmm. that even means and how it's contested mm. through history and currently mm -hmm. and the the similarities and differences um, that sort of remain hidden mm. to to a brief point of that and this is this is only somewhat related Sean um, does has everyone ever ever interrogated your use of American to refer refer to the United States of America Interestingly, not in Canada. Mm, in the really? U.S., when I was at Tech, I took a, a class from the history department for my degree. And, mm -hmm. and very early on, we talked about America versus United States, mm -hmm. the fact that mm -hmm. we don't have an English language demonym for the United States other than American. Right. We aren't United Statesians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I believe I, there was one I saw that was uh, um, Usikens. Oh, no. Usikens? That was trying to get... Hang on a sec. Hey, Amy. 
What's the U.S. central term that's not American? No, don't know. Using U.S. subjects and U.S. citizens. Okay, Amy uses U.S. subjects and citizens. <laughs> I'm trying. There's one I've heard, and I don't know what it is. Amy, Amy is also a scholar oh. of these sorts of things and knows way way more than I do. She's uh, her her dissertation is on um, Puritans in the United States and pr uh, not these them the Puritans themselves, but depictions thereof in the U.S. Anyway, I change the structure of sentences so I don't need a noun to describe who's in the U.S. Cool. Uh, Amy changes the okay. subject of sentences uh, yeah. to so she doesn't need the noun, which is a great way of dealing with that as well. Um, and I ask because I think I think it is really important. We're talking about language. We're talking about appropriation, and um, there's a lot of there's an area of of study called the hemispheric studies. There's actually the hemispheric institute, um, which is trying to. And, and I think is, is on the right path of taking Americans away from those that live in the U.S. and giving it to those that live in the Americas. Right. Um, and it's something that I've been very aware of. Uh, and I'm not I don't I'm not perfect about it, I'm sure, because I don't always catch myself doing it. But being able to say U.S. citizens or anything else other than referring to America being exclusively the United States of America, which is one might say, a strong act of cultural appropriation mm. and cultural subjugation of saying that other that other continent, nothing. Yeah. Everything below the U.S., nothing. Even Canadians are Americans <laughs> in the hemispheric and, and uh, <laughs> continental perspective. And my eyes are getting very big because uh, the last thing Canadians want to be is Americans. <laughs> and I have learned that um, yeah. distinctly. They are, well, yeah, and you that's, know, that's because of this sort of distinction that we. But that's, but I'm what I'm critiquing is right. the use of the word American. Yeah. And I am actually more aware of it, I think, than the students I've worked with. I am the one yeah. correcting their papers and crossing out America and writing the United States. Um, mm -hmm. I don't correct American to yeah. U.S. citizen because in history, sometimes we're talking about people who aren't citizens because they don't have uh, that, well, the rights from the state. You could talk yeah. You could talk the people who live there. Um, yeah. Again, you can, you can restructure your right. sentence so you don't have to have the specific ver uh, you know, proper noun. But um, I... I I think in this discussion, I think that's an important in this discussion of cultural appropriation. I think that's one of our biggest sins. Um, Is America on the really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, well, uh, <laughs> I think I think it's a I think it's a unknown sin. I'll put it to you that way. Okay. It, yeah. I don't it's think one we interrogated yeah. enough. Um, I, I gotta say though, it's 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 um I I would refer to the United States as the United States um, yeah. in almost every sentence until I went to Europe where in pretty much every sentence they say America to mean the United mm -hmm. States. They don't say United States ever. <laughs> but just because it's normalized doesn't make it okay. Sure, sure. And, and I mean, I begin to, to think of like, this is, this is now a sin that has, that is seeping into mm -hmm. like the global culture, right? And, well, as and we, for what, it's, for what mm -hmm. it's worth, you, yes, Europe and the United States have vastly different cultures, both within and between them. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're talking about colonialism, they both definitely tie into the same history that wants to call the U.S. America. Sure. And so hearing that much of Europe repeats those does not surprise me mm. because because they both have very similar colonial histories and that ties into their language. You know, who we are defines how we talk. Hmm. I think there I think we're missing some of the linguistic historical context, which is that I mean, we talked about before language 
is foundational. It is it reflects how we express our thoughts and meanings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the the formal name for Mexico is the United Mexican States. Mm-hmm. Colombia, before being the Republic of Colum- Colombia, was the United States of Colombia, mm-hmm. and the formal title of the United States is United States of America. Sure. And so I think that that reflects a, a much more nebulous understanding of what America is mm-hmm. and what what it was considered to be. Yes, it comes from Amerigo Vespucci, you know, mm-hmm. the map of the, new, quote, new world, things of that nature. But I don't think that the term was ever as stable as us looking back and projecting hmm. onto that. And my second point to that would be, again, we don't have an English language demonym, a demonym being the name that um, is given to a people from a certain place. So mm-hmm. Canada has Canadians. Um, and where in Spanish there is, it's Estado Unidense, hmm. which is the transliterally <laughs> United Statesian. And, <laughs> yeah. and in my experience, I I don't want to generalize, but in my mm-hmm. experience, when I'm having conversations in Spanish with with teachers from Central America, they're saying Estado Unidense to refer to an, what I would say American. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sometimes they would use Americano to refer mm-hmm. to a person from the entire hemisphere. So, uh, you know, yeah. I think there's a lot more give and take and back and forth about the possibilities. And I'm not sure that I agree with the idea that the demonym of the United States is a specifically colonial project designed to, hmm. you know, perpetuate particular values. I think it's a it's an unintentional byproduct. How? But I think it. But I think it has the effect of continuing that in the same way, where you you could argue that certain things um, are. You know, Miley Cyrus's performance of twerking at the VMAs hmm. was not created as an attempt to you know, subjugate or continue the subjugation of, of black bodies in the U.S., mm-hmm. but it has that effect. And mm-hmm. we have, I have, feel like I have responsibility to, to comment and critique that and do my best to keep it from continuing. So, yes, I, I think historically speaking, that may not have been the original intent of using American to refer to U.S. populations, but the fact that it has become the norm reinforces so language creates and reinforces and we create with language and it becomes this cycle this loop and if we continue to use that it continues to entrench those belief systems intentionally or otherwise and being able to interrogate them in our own speech i'm not saying we have to go police everybody else's but we have to be able to look at how we use words and look sure. at the effects that those have, whether or not we mean them. And then, you know, in, in environments where we have the privilege to, to challenge it, to do so. Mm. Do you think that, well, not, let me rephrase. Let's assume that you're right. What okay. is, what is the, what is the, the negative outcome? What is the harm? So what if, it is intentional even. So what if America, if, <laughs> if people in the United States say, you know, we are America, period. So what? What, what is the harm? And I, I'm asking genuinely. This is not yeah. a trap. No, it's okay. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, have, I have an honest and genuine answer. Um, when we erase peoples from language, groups of people from language, 
they cease to exist because language is who we are. So I, I don't understand in terms um, of like so, thinking of Brazilian. So by or... using by using American to to solely refer to the people that live in the United States, mm -hmm. when that term should be used to refer to those that live in the Americas, we are taking that vast group of cultures, that hemisphere's worth of peoples, and reducing them to one and erasing everybody else. I would argue and that that might even be a good thing because go with me here. Okay. Well, go, go, right. Let I'm me gonna, explain. You're going to have to explain this yeah. one real hard. Yeah. The word European uh -huh. refers to someone from Europe, a continent mm -hmm. of peoples and cultures, like you just said. Mm -hmm. How often is that word used to paint every every person of 450 million who live on that continent with the same brush. Oh, Europeans are like this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you get, when we're talking about scales that large, oh, it's an even better example, African. Yeah. And, and white uh, Americans, ah, I can't yeah. escape it. White people from the US yeah. um, who may not even understand that Africa is a continent and not a country mm -hmm. or, you know, like, well, Africans are all like that. And it co it uh -huh. collapses different groups uh, of people into one It's a convenient word. abbreviation, yeah. And Americans does the same thing. But at, le but at least, but the scale is reduced from to, to however continents? many well, to, people yeah. live in the Western <laughs> Hemisphere to under a million. In the case of it being used now, it's it's reduced to the scale of 300 million, right? Whereas... But, it, so, but, it's, but it's ignoring the fact that South America exists. It's ignoring the fact that other countries exist in North America. Mm. Of course, well, and I, mean, I don't think it. Well, I, maybe see. ideally, I mean, I hear, I hear, kind of where both of y'all are coming from. It's like ideally, ideally, it should be, it should be up to the people from a region to decide how they should be referred to by others, right? Like in a in a perfect world, mm -hmm. you know, if I if I were choosing, I would want to be referred to as Texan, right? Mm -hmm. If if I were really choosing, which, but what I mean, which I do as well, yeah. um, first or in addition to first. Okay. I don't identify as as an American, or or I wouldn't identify as a United Statesian. Like the level on, on which I identify identify myself is at most state, and even more preferably, if there were a word for it, I would be a Central Texan. Right? I, I identify with my bio region, the hmm. the ecological area around which I am sustained and where my community is. So. You know, folks in Europe would probably prefer to be identified as Belgian or Italian or Catalan. Right. You know, mm -hmm. what about nations who are contained within other na Kurdish? Right. We we now have, like, I it's so. Kevin, have you talked about this on your identity podcast yet? <laughs> An identity podcast. Uh, the one that you hinted at to me. Oh, uh, that one hasn't started yet, actually. Okay. Um, uh, we are having trouble <laughs> recording our first episode. Ah. Uh, but, uh, and Kevin, I think one just go to a Freebirds and open up a laptop. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, no, thank you. Um, Good. Oh, I totally lost my train of thought. I got I'm distracted sorry. by so the sorry sound of Mexican food, which is <laughs> I'm sorry, Canada. I love you, but it's the worst here. It's like like Tex-Mex, even like I know that Freebirds is not Mexican food, but no, <laughs> it's it's just bad here. Help me. Um, anyway, um, through the word American that. You know, Stephen, you were talking about self-describing as Texan first or Central Texan, and yeah, and that all of these terms to define who we are, Canadian or mm -hmm. Europe, uh, Canadian 
if you're Texan, both of those identities are based on political boundaries, mm. which, as Kevin, you were saying, reinforces the legitimacy of those particular boundaries. And, Absolutely. and they're totally convenient because mm-hmm. your passport says the country of origin, mm. um, Texan, Texas specifically has it's, – it's the asterisks of American history. <laughs> yeah. And – it's it's hard to deal with. And Texas has worked really hard to become that. Oh, yeah. It has. We, we tried to erase, you know, we, we erased all of the Civil War presence as far as we can. Yep. It's like, oh, that was other people. We did, we're not part of the South. We didn't we didn't have slaves and, and fight in the no, Civil War to try totally and keep owning not. people. Yeah. Of course not. But, uh, but, um, I actually, but real quick, Kevin, yeah, I was to in, sort of wrap yeah, up, yeah. that American in the hemispheric sense mm-hmm. is awesome. For me, I think geographic, regional, mm. cultural identities, like I am Kurdish. There's no Kurdish state right right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Americas is a fairly stable construct because you're referring to a landmass. <laughs> yes. And I, I like that. Really big one. Because a lot of my work is transnational. Mm-hmm. And I am interested yeah. in questions of the movement of people, of, people and ideas. <laughs> Across the 49th <laughs> parallel between you know, the U.S. and Canada and mm-hmm. the you know, borders are constructed and they're built. And I will stop there because I could go on an oh. hours-long tear. But I, I do want to add that the, the Americas, I think, or Americans as a hemispheric term, mm-hmm. I like that. And I'm, I actually I'm on use board it. for for using it that way. I think I think from this discussion onward, I will no longer refer to myself or others as Americans when I mean United States citizens. And we could. And that's all yeah. I really wanted. We could really try to get United Statesian <laughs> to be a thing. I will. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that could be the well, show title. Well, I did title. pull up the um, the Wikipedia page for names of U.S. citizens, uh-huh. which I've linked. I've linked in the in the comment field. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and it sort of it it. I mean, it's a short Wikipedia article, but it sort of talks about the de- development of the term American to speak to the U.S. US citizens. Right. Um, and, you know, it mentions like colloquial names like Yank or Yankee. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I would be okay if that, if that took on. And I don't even like being called a Yankee because I'm from <laughs> Texas. But I would prefer that over... American, you know, yeah. in, the, in the same way that Amer- that you know, French people are are somewhat uh, negatively called frogs. I would be okay if Yankee became a a standard terminology to refer to those people. Uh, Usonian is another one that's been used. There's there's a whole bunch of them. Apparently, Usonia was a word used by American architect Frank Lloyd Wright to refer to his vision for the landscape of the United States. Usonian. Wow. <laughs> well. If we project into the future, the current political issues, and if the country eventually collapses, um, <laughs> then we can just go back to, you know, local regional names like yeah. Cascadian Virginian. or Californian. Yeah. Yep. Who are the Utah Utahns? Utah? Utes? Utes. Are you talking about the indigenous people? Well, the, no. Our, I mean, any. I guess maybe. Like, give. Hold on. I got the list. Uh, Utahn. U T A H N. Yeah. That's that's strange. Well, it's the, yeah. I, I'm I'm at the very least going to to make that one revision. There's something here that I'm still I'm still somewhat curious about that we we've been dancing around, um, mm-hmm. which is this. I think you you spoke a lot to it, Kevin, of of like the kind of the hows of moving forward in in mm-hmm. the identity words we choose, but also just the act of cultural creation itself. And I, yeah. 
something was in there in what Sean said around intentionality. And Mm -hmm. I think merely what y'all were both getting at was like to do cultural creation in a more intentional way. Mm -hmm. Whereas, whereas usually what happens is it's, is it is just sort of thrown together or, or it's done through intentions that have nothing to do with, um, empathy, right? Yeah. Uh, we're, we're pulling from different things. Uh, and yet there's a sense in which I, I wonder, I wonder how artificial that then makes culture or like cultural creation or evolution, or is that then like looped into the natural process? No, I think, I think it becomes natural. I think that that becomes part of the process is, uh, you know, we, we can talk about how much of language is unintentional, but has consequences, but that doesn't mean language and art can't be intentional and still have those and still have consequences that matter. Right. And I think when we become more intentional, more deliberate, um, we make sure or we are attempting to make sure that the consequences that happen are positive and beneficial rather than not caring and just letting it happen, which tends to reinforce structures of power. Hmm. Oh, don't be along for the ride. Yeah. Mm. Take it. Don't let Jesus take the wheel. Take it yourself. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Carrie Underwood. Was that her? I don't know. I, uh, I, I mean, yeah. Jesus take the wheel's been around for a long time. <laughs> I'm looking around. Yeah, Stephen, save me. I don't know. I have, I have no idea. And I think, he, um, mm. of course, I'm always going to come back to historical examples. Sure. And yeah. one example that I was chatting about with Stephen the other day was um, the connection between the Scots and kilts. Oh, yeah. And hmm. that being a classic example of an ancient tradition and something that is always been associated with Scottish people and it you know marks their culture as distinct from the the bloody English and you know Irish and Welsh and and I guess I'm gonna find out that's not true and that is not true at all Um, (laughs) it kind of ruined me it's um, Eric Hobsbawm was a professor in the UK and he wrote um, a book called the the invention of tradition sorry and and he he goes on a tear Uh, to use that phrase again, Mm. about the construction of culture and specifically traditions. And traditions are a a sort of a key marker of of culture, Mm -hmm. you know, based on how the tradition arose, who participates, what the what that creation event meant for the culture. And he goes on to argue that the invention of the Scottish kilt occurs in the 1750s, I believe. It's Mm -hmm. 18th century. It's pretty recent. And and I, I find in that both an interesting deconstruction of what I had assumed, and I think many people who aren't, I would, I wonder if, I wonder if Scottish people think the same thing. Um, you know, the assumption that it's old, but also that you can intentionally create new traditions mm. as a way to represent values, mm. saying this is our community, this is what we do, and who we are, mm. and it can endure. So it on, doesn't, on a- you know. On a personal, much smaller scale, um, my family did exactly that. Uh, hmm. We invented a tradition. Um, this was, I mean, I, I was still an undergrad, I think, when it happened. Uh, but my sister wanted to create a tradition of uh, making cookies at Christmas and decorating hmm. cookies. So making sugar cookies and decorating them with icing and the like. Uh, and and that has become a family tradition now. That is something that we do deliberately and intentionally and now we kind of do it at this point because it is tradition 
mm-hmm. even though we know full well within my family unit that it started as an attempt to create a tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I and, think that. And, yeah, I, well, and, and we we uh, in, to use maybe a, a slightly less uh, um, cheery example, like <laughs> we touched on the De Beers Diamond Corporation's creation of the tradition yeah. of oh. giving a, oh, a diamond read, yeah. engagement. I read a ring, fascinating right? article on that that made me so angry. I, like I had to read it in, in like multiple settings because I would read part of it, get yeah. angry, have to put it down, and come back. <laughs> and it, it really, I mean, it's it's at some point there's that recognition that happens among a class with power perhaps and maybe it's a, and it's an intentional or unintentional act but that with a few brush strokes the creation of words the you know and timings and and a lot of repetition of of that mm-hmm. you can if you say it often enough make it appear as though it's been there forever absolutely <laughs> uh, as an example see yeah. textbooks mm. well specifically historical textbooks how so? Oh, you repeat something often enough and it... It becomes true. Right. The historical narrative is, mm. is yeah. something oh, that is contestant. Mm. Contestant? Oi. Contested. <laughs> um, and contestant. It, it is a contestant on The Price is Right. Um, <laughs> because Texas controls the textbook market. Oh, yes. Huzzah. Yes, they do. Oh, I got right. that oh. segue in. Bam. Damn. It's um, good. It's good. Yeah. Also, yeah. it's terrible that Texas controls the... Uh, the, the textbook market. Did you see the the? Um, it was a group of, I believe, it was historians um, that were critiquing the textbook standards that Texas put out. Yes, and actually, I think one of my old professors from UNC was oh, on that awesome. group. I think because he's he he works in history education. Yeah, a lot, and he's yeah. a vocal advocate for revisionism mm-hmm. and being okay with unsettling a narrative and maybe not having everything be a bald eagle flew over George Washington and liberty descended upon the ignorance. Yeah. You know, as they washed over with Americanness, like (laughs) we can complicate the narrative and still recognize the achievements and risks of, of key people. Like they're not mutually exclusive. Oh yeah. 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 Um, but I think I think it, it, the the idea of repeating things until they're true doesn't just apply to history textbooks, although it does. Doesn't just apply to marketing like in diamonds, but also to that's how language is made. Is we keep <laughs> repeating a thing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm remembering a book uh, that I read in probably middle school um, called Friendle, Frindle, F R I N D L E, which is literally about that happening. A <laughs> a young boy um, names. His pen, Frendel, F-R-I-N, I'm spelling it, D-L-E. He decides to call it a Frendel instead, and it becomes a word mm-hmm. um, through usage throughout, like, his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just becomes a word, which is fascinating. Um, and it was the first time I realized that you could even do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, growing up on the internet, you, you you saw this, or I think we all saw this happen very very quickly, and and we yes. had visceral examples of you know, chat speak, uh, yeah. and memes themselves, and you know these these sort of rapid rapidly forming, and you know never really, um, like credited to anyone, 
nuggets of culture mm-hmm. just flying about all the time. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I think it extends to even more important things than that than mm-hmm. than like LOL, which is definitely a term that exists now and is is used as punctuation even. Yeah. But um, words like cisgender is something mm-hmm. that I didn't know five years ago. Right. And and has probably existed longer than that. But we've also hit this point in our lives where I can say that word and most people know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's an interesting um, example in my own experience that connects us between uh, the language, the construction of language, and cultural appropriation, yeah. and lots of different things. Mm, maybe um, we'll end it, on this one if it's yeah. A, I think it's yeah. I think it's a good punchy okay. one. Great, yeah. cool, um, do it. So in in I think of a stop sign. Hmm. It's ubiquitous, mm-hmm. and in many places it is written in a Latin alphabet, and it spells the English word stop. Yeah. Even in Europe, mm. even in France, and I bring up France specifically mm. because of the situation of Quebec in Canada and Quebec's. Do they have long, stop signs? They do have stop signs. They they do. They may not obey them, um, but they do have stop signs. They Quebec. exist. Yeah, they're a gesture yeah. do, in the direction. Do they say stop, or do right. they say whatever stop is in French? They say arrête. A R R E T with a circumflex over the E, but and, you know that and that stems from Quebec's very strict language laws. Yeah, you yes, can Google yes. Bill One Hundred One for the text of that interesting mm-hmm. law. Um, but arrête means stop. It's a noun mm. in French. Oh, it's not a command. It's not a command. Yes. Oh, so that's you would have a bus stop. Like that's the uh-huh. the word and. I am not fluent in French, so if you are, pl- please correct me. <laughs> but my understanding is that the the command mm. would be arrête, a r r e t e z for mm. my local audience. Mm. And I prefer z the, over z anyway. Yeah, it is kind of nice. It's I great. like it. It's conclusive. Um, <laughs> but that you know, it reflects Quebec's culture and history and how the repeated use of that word. Now mm. a francophone would see that and just know. I'm going to stop my vehicle. I'm going to pump the brakes and I'm going to stop, yeah. even huh. if it may be technically grammatically incorrect. <laughs> because I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I think the redness takes care of that that oh, part, portion of enough. the intention. Yeah. Assu- assuming someone is not red, green, colorblind and can tell the difference. True, true. Oh. oh. In that case, uh, maybe there's the shape, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's I have what, all so. the whole the whole cloth. So it made it made it work, but it it helps to make Quebec a distinct yeah. society um, and Which maintain its distinctiveness. Yes, mm. that's really important. Well, yeah, it's a good place to stop. Thank you all for the discussion. I think uh, yeah, we're close to uh, needing to to vacate our our space here in the uh, the University of Calgary Digital Media Commons at the Taylor Family Digital Library. Ooh, fancy yeah. fancy! I'm uh, in my living room and I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are. They told us we had to put on pants. Yes. But. Well, I was wearing my bathrobe before we started, but then I reached behind me and found this polo shirt that I could put on. And I was like, well, oh, now I look professional, but <laughs> I'm still not wearing pants. It's all right. Uh, For our longtime listeners, this is hardly the first time I've recorded a podcast without wearing pants. <laughs> so see if you can go back and, and guess by listening yeah. to the episodes. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Sounds like a no pants. <laughs> yeah. It feels no pansy to me. I'm expecting that spreadsheet in our inbox by next Tuesday, <laughs> listeners. 
Uh, well, thank you, Stephen and Sean, both for coming on. Um, I know we have to wrap up so you can get out so we can do post-show and stuff before they kick you mm. out. Um, you can always, of course, follow the show at uh, twitter.com slash badphilosophy. We're on Facebook, probably. I don't know. Uh, Stephen, yes. <laughs> I know you are uh, on Twitter at... Uh, S double S double T O double S. Uh, you, you say the thing. I don't know how to spell your name. S T O double R E N C E. Yeah. Storance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have, of course, always at, at Kev Sond almost everywhere you can find me there. Uh, Sean, do you have a, a Twitter preference you'd like to say? Or if you would rather uh, mention a different thing, feel free. Okay. I'm on Twitter at, at Sean Brackett, S H A W N. B-R-A-C-K-E, two T's. Two T's. really important to me. Although I am not, I have not been active on Twitter for a while. Mm, That's okay. I will respond, but I'm not really on there. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Funny enough for our longtime Bad Philosophy fans, there is someone who has the Twitter handle at underscore Bad Philosophy. <laughs> um, who is, who I, as far as, I mean, the tweets are protected, so I don't know who it is. Uh, it's just a person um, who appears to be tweeting pretty commonly because on my Twitter feed where I have bad philosophy as a saved search. Mm. I see lots of people responding to this person, but uh, I don't actually see their tweets because they are protected. Fascinating. Well, yeah. uh, more power to them. Yeah. Uh, so that's our show. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy, a Yankee Doodle Do or Die. A real live nephew of my Uncle Sam, born on the 4th of July. Well, I would like to take the position that all language is artificial and constructed in a social environment, and therefore we cannot actually know anything or express anything, and therefore we're done. Great. I'm with you on that one. All okay, right. cool. Let's, okay. Uh, Peace. Have a good one. Let's talk about cats. Well, I guess we'll we'll go ahead and wrap it up if if y'all. I'm feeling like yeah, lunchtime, and I'm sure you're you're getting near there, Kevin. Yeah, so. I could probably eat some food. I have to put on pants first. Oh uh, yeah, that's very important. Or is it for eating? Sure. Okay. Well, if if the food's not in my house, it's very important. Yes, true. Got a Yankee Doodle sweetheart. She's my Yankee Doodle joy. Yankee Doodle came to town just to ride a pony. I am that Yankee Doodle boy. Badphilosophy.com. I'm not touching that one. Not on a recording.